Welcome back to Notice That, an EMDR podcast where two licensed professional counselors and approved EMDR consultants discuss the latest research and resources for trauma treatment and EMDR therapy. Hey guys, welcome back to Notice That, an EMDR podcast. Bridger and I are here today, unfortunately, without Melissa. Um, She had some other things to take care of today. We want to give you a little warning. We are recording through Zoom, so please forgive us for any of the background noises that may happen, but we're going to do our best to keep the quality as as good as possible and hopefully not run into any connection issues as we've already battled that once today. (laughs) Yes. But... We are back here to talk about the second part of ego state as preparation and resourcing. Mm -hmm. So we got into that last episode, we covered some really great material and we're going to pick up on the second half of it today. Before we do that, I want to give a a preview of a couple of trainings that we have going on right now. So if you guys are interested, um, we have a case conceptualization training that we have going on. It's actually super short notice for you all, but in case any of you are very last minute planners, like I am, (laughs) (laughs) you could still jump in on this training. Um, so it's a model for conceptualizing your cases and that is the somatic into somatic integration and processing. And we dive deep into our model for conceptualizing cases and how um, we look at our clients and their histories and their cases and begin to look at what is our therapy approach going to be with them. We've seen our PVT episodes and and some of the other AIP uh, based episodes really uh, get a lot of downloads. And so SIP integrates three main theories, which is attachment and neurodevelopment, PVT, and AIP. So that's kind of the three main theories that we then look at what comes out of a good case conceptualization when all three are kind of pointed at a case. Um, yeah. 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 So we will be <clears throat> offering that in Miami, Oklahoma on February 25th through February 27th. So it's a three day training. And if you want to get registered for that, you can email us at training at beyondhealingcenter.com and just send us an email. We'll give you the registration information. And if that's something that you can't attend to this one, but you're interested in attending a future training, we will have um, one of those coming up this year in Springfield, Missouri, and also are working towards getting those virtual. Yes. So we'll be scheduling a virtual training for I this year as well. I don't think you said one of the most exciting parts about this training. Oh, yes. Kind of it's important. approved for 21 CEs, which is exciting. Yes. Yeah. Yes. We did just get our final letter of approval. Um, so you can get 21 continued education hours through that. So we're really excited at that opportunity as well. Yes. So even if you can't attend on the 25th, uh, let us know if you're interested and we'll add you to an email list or we'll look at trying to bring one to you in your area if you have a group of therapists that would be interested in taking that. 
The other quick note is we do have an EMDR training scheduled in Miami, Oklahoma as well, August 2nd through the 6th. So most of you listening are already trained, um, have your basic training in EMDR, but if you have any colleagues who are looking for an in-person training um, and that would want to come join us in Miami, Oklahoma, we will be there in August and would love to have um, you there with us. So again, just shoot us an email at training at beyondhealingcenter.com and we will send you the link and all the information to register for that. Okay, so as we dive in, I want to give a quick overview to the topics we covered or the items we covered from the article that we're reviewing. Um, We are looking at, excuse me, the article of integrating EMDR and ego state treatment for clients with trauma disorders. And this is by Carol Forgosh and James Knipe. And it comes from the the full uh, PDF download of the article. uh, If you just Google the name uh, or go to uh, Springer Publishing Company and just search it there, you can find the full article. Yes. So in last week's episode, we covered the topics of initial ego state work, accessing the ego state system, the relationship of the therapist to the ego state and creating a home base. So please, if you didn't listen to last episode, start there because I need some context. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to jump right in today with choosing and installing a workplace for the ego state system. And this is something you guys have heard us, if you've listened to many of our past episodes, reference many, many times. Um, it's, it comes from, this concept in general comes from Fraser's dissociative table technique. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of variations of this that we can use, but we've talked about Fraser's table probably 25 times in episodes, <laughs> just briefly referencing it. Yeah. So this will give a little more context to that. And then it's our hope to be able to yeah. provide you all with a demonstration of this. So you can really see it play out with your, with clients. I, I think this is one of the kind of starting points for a lot of people of, well, so how do I start introducing this work into my, into my work with clients? Um, because it kind of seems a little vague at first, when you first start hearing about these parts of self and well, is there a standard set of parts or is there uh, kind of like a, a standardized way of going about identifying them? And then what do we do after that? Um, yeah. I think Fraser's table is a great sort of uh, template that you can start to develop on how to start identifying the unique parts of the client. Um, I don't know. I think we have a recorded demo of this of at least like the prompt, or maybe we could for, for future, but I think uh, either way, if you can, you can look it up and see different people doing the Fraser's table, the more traditional one, but it is essentially just inviting the unique parts of the client to come forward um, through guided imagery and, and sort of a, a mindfulness practice. Um, so the, the Fraser's table is, is one way of, of establishing a, a space where the parts can come forward and identify themselves. Yeah. And, and this is, um, we talked last 
episode about a home base where each part has kind of their safe space to be. This is more of like a workspace. So this is where inviting them to come forward, not necessarily just to exist because they already exist, but to come forward, to be able to be interacted with by the therapist. Mm -hmm. So it is an invitation from the therapist to invite all parts to come into a workspace. And it doesn't have to be traditional workspace. Fraser's table is more modeled after like a boardroom, um, family yeah. table, or, you know, different, right. it can be different, but it's come to a table and everybody sits around. And this is where we come to do our work. Yes. Now it can be much more creative than that. It's really what the client, um, the work I do is kind of letting the client embrace the image that comes to mind for them and what they really connect with. Yeah. So, um, it could be a variety of things. We kind of talked about a house, I think on the last episode, a little bit, it yeah. could be a house with different rooms. I had one client recently identify Hogwarts mess hall. There you go. And all the tables and chairs in there. So really yeah. neat images that can come up. I've had, uh, a picnic table on the top of a hill above a meadow. I've mm-hmm. had uh, the, you know, we did say the foyer of the house or just like a um, kind of a little seating area that's feeding off into different hallways and different rooms. Um, it, anything that you can help them and just let it naturally, naturally emerge from the client of what space feels uh, the most, like it makes the most sense to you and the parts that need to come forward what scenery, you know, you can change everything about it. The scenery, the texture, the material, you can change, it can be whatever they want. Um, The the workspace needs to just be their own so that their parts can inhabit that space the, the, the most naturally. Some of the things we're going to be paying close attention to as we invite the parts into the workspace are um, where do they see themselves? Who are they? What other parts are they seated next to? What is the dynamic and the interaction amongst parts? Are there any parts standing outside of the room or on the other side of the door or hiding under the table or yeah, back in a corner, standing in a shadow? Um, are there any parts that refuse to come and that that's okay. There, there very well could be a part. This is, I hear you inviting me, but I, I turn that invitation down. I won't be there. That's right. So it's, it's a really powerful, even for the therapist informational gathering tool. So we're learning so much about the individual's internal system and the relationships amongst those parts and some of the needs of those parts become very clear in this imagery. And it can change from session to session as you revisit that workspace, paying careful attention to some of those dynamics within each session as they bring that visualization back up. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this flows kind of well um, into the next point that you brought up, Jen, about orientation to present reality because this is something that I think a lot of people would just naturally think of uh, in these ages of parts or in the, the, the parts that are holding specific memories, there's this tendency that we can feel to get trapped back in time. Mm-hmm. And so much power can come just from imagining that this part holds that time and that memory and those experiences and can sometimes convince the, the client that this is all that you will ever know you're going to be trapped in this trauma forever. Or, you know, that can mm-hmm. be where the experiences of the client are, are sort of almost, uh, they, they seem chopped up a little bit. I was working with a client this past week where 
this person has a very young part that had some really hard, terrible things happen to it. And when they experience this um, sort of low seasons of really depressed mood and, and, and very activated reactivity, it is that part coming forward and, and kind of convincing them that, no, this is your reality. You don't deserve yeah. any of the nice things that you have. You don't deserve any of the relationships you have because we were never going to make it out of that alive. And so I'm the only part that really gets to speak anymore. Um, that even just establishing this common workplace allows the other parts to come say, wait, that's not actually true. Mm-hmm. That's not the only reality that you know, because we're here and you did grow up, but we can help one another process through the difficult things and let go of the things that we need to, uh, to come into a present orientation. Yeah. And so from that workspace, we're using the exercise of orientation to present reality. And that's an exercise, again, that was created by Forgosh and Twombly, Mm -hmm. I believe is how you say it. Um, And that's really orienting each of those parts to the present time and place. And this helps those parts to feel a sense of security, safety. They're connected with reality and no longer disillusioned or disoriented by the past and the trauma and the pain that was experienced there. Yes, they get to be freed from that in that moment. And this isn't necessarily a a one-time check the box. It's done. We should be healed. It's a repetitive exercise that we go through to help um, continue to reorient those past parts into the present reality where they can kind of place their roots and become more um, stabilized in the present reality and not be pulled back into the past. And that right there to me is just such a powerful uh, experience for the clients because a lot of people don't think that thing that you just said is possible. Mm -hmm. I'm never not going to feel this way. Um, I'm always going to feel this trauma or this experience or how I felt that time or or whatever it is. And, and the client that I was working with last, uh, this last, this past week, just the meeting of that younger part and their adult self, she said was so healing because that little, you know, the younger self realized that she grew up into something beautiful Hmm. and it made her feel safe and to keep going and to keep processing and to keep essentially take courage in that, that we can keep going because you did grow up, you did get out of there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So to make a direct connection between like how this integrates into a standard EMDR, yeah. um, like when we're looking at the eight phases in the protocol, this can be resourcing. This can be used as preparation. So we're doing all of this work. It can be paired with bilateral. If you're going to use it as resourcing and pair it with bilateral, you'll want to pair it with slow short sets to avoid entering into, you know, processing the trauma, but moments like what Bridger is describing the meeting. Yeah. Yeah. The moments of aha and the healing and the relief in that can be installed, that felt experience of that, the awareness, the new, um, the clarity can be installed with slow short sets of bilateral. Now, if this is happening, this could also happen amongst the reprocessing phase, the desensitization. 
And so if we were reprocessing a memory or a past experience and they're stuck and they're looping Mm -hmm. and they're stuck back in that old trauma and you can tell that part is present and it processing the emotions, we can reorient them to the present reality as an interweave that kind of gives, um, and trainings you may have heard referred to as give them the update Mm -hmm. um, that I am safe now, um, orient them to present time, safety, and helping them connect with life as it is now. And that's where Forgosh and Twombly talk about needing to have an understanding for all of the parts about the adult self, where they are now. Mm-hmm. Um, and in my work with clients, I always, um, if they're comfortable with it, I'll always try to say, can we, as in me and them as their adult self right now, go into that meeting place, that workspace that we created and always be there to interact with these parts. Um, sometimes that's not felt to be safe by the client. Sometimes they'll say, no, um, we just need to watch it. Or, you know, we need, almost as if it were on a screen, we can't be there because mm-hmm. of how unsafe it is to those parts, but we can watch it from a screen or something like that. You can just let it be as creative as it needs to be. But that comparison of the younger part to the adult self um, can be something so, so helpful. And so, uh, you know, encouraging to those parts that it can really create a lot of uh, good resourcing. And, and like I said, courage for that, those younger parts to keep going. So you can use that as an entire session where oh, that's yeah. what you're doing, or it can be brought in as a small piece of an interweave when you're doing reprocessing work, either one. Yes. That takes us into our next point of constructive avoidance. Um, And so this is really focused on the therapist being able to teach the client how to protect um, those younger, more vulnerable, maybe not even younger, but just more vulnerable parts, um, how to protect them from being exposed um, to those more immature parts or unhealed parts, being exposed to those triggering, activating, unsafe situations. Yeah. And it's those... um... I love that you kind of took back the younger and just replaced it with vulnerable because sometimes those younger parts are the ones that hold the trauma or the most intense traumas. And it's the parts that came after that, that sort of did a lot of compartmentalization and hid that from themselves. Um, I have, I have a couple of different clients that that is the case. And it wasn't until for one, it wasn't until she had a child and it became the age that she was when she went through what she went through that she started remembering all of these things um, and started kind of getting flooded so frequently by the the pain of what had happened to her that she just kind of didn't really notice (laughs) until she had a child that was that age and so sometimes it can be just that vulnerability of not exposing those parts to all of the weight of the trauma until they're ready or even if if at all, if you can avoid it. One way that I teach this to my clients, I use a lot of just real life examples, but it's what this is happening after we have created the home base or each part has their own safe place. Mm -hmm. And so it can happen like retroactively, like after um, something has occurred or even in preparation of something that's to come. But for instance, if you have a client who's, you know, struggles with going to their annual exam at the gynecologist every year because they have past sexual abuse, and we know this is coming up, we want to provide constructive avoidance for that part that was sexually abused, the part that had been wounded in that way where they don't have to be exposed to that exam. 
Yeah. They don't have to enter that room. They don't have to go through that and be re-exposed to that in that triggering experience, but they can be tucked away in their, on their home base or in their calm, safe, yeah. comfortable place. And adult me um, can walk in, the adult me that can protect myself, that can make choice in that situation, can walk into that experience and have the exam and recognize the benefits of that without also feeling the wounds of that younger part. Another example is that I use a lot is, um, if you notice in your relationship, you and your spouse fight over money. Like when the, the topic of finances comes up, I get so triggered and we're activated and we just can't seem to manage that. Notice what part in me is coming up that's feeling activated by that conversation and invite it to go to its home base and say, you know, maybe it's a younger part where resources were very limited as a kid. Yeah. And say, hey, sweetie, you don't have to be a part of this. I'm going to take care of you and tuck you in here. And then I'm going to walk back into that conversation as my, you know, adult self and interact with my spouse yes. on that topic without that child part there. But I will come back and get you. It's yes. not a sending away, you know, it's not a, you're not, you're not appropriate to be here. Um, but it's a, I, you don't have to go through this. You don't have to just feel attacked and feel um, so, uh, activated by it, you can go back to your home base and I'll come get you. When it's yeah. Over. And they, um, in this article line out, even the specific wording of, as the adult self finishes that interaction, that doctor's appointment or that conversation with their spouse, they return to that younger part of that more vulnerable part and say, I'm home. It's mm -hmm. over. You know, you're, you that. can stay in this home base or you can return um, and be a part of this, this day-to-day -day interactions, but there's the notifying them that that's complete. And now you have free access to stay or to come that they're not boundaried in that place long-term that we're not, you know, burying those parts of us, yes. but we're just protecting them temporarily and then reinviting them back. So um, I want to get to the next point, but I want to kind of pause really quick because I feel like that you said two things that I really love about ego state work, uh, or at least gave allusion to them. One is starting to sort of press pause and look at what parts of myself are so activated. Mm -hmm. That is such a huge skill to develop. Um, it, it is so much of the psychoeducation and resourcing that goes into helping a client increase their affect tolerance and their window of tolerance. Um, really starting to say, I'm not totally activated, but there is a part of me that very much is. I have a part myself called <laughs> that uh, is a petulant five-year-old. And so sometimes I'll just find myself being dismissive or disagreeable, uh, even over something as small as the restaurant I wanted wasn't open. <laughs> and I say that because I know you do that too. <laughs> I, was say, I think that's actually my example. <laughs> I never felt so like seen as when you and I connected on that. Uh, like, mm -hmm. Just because that Indian restaurant wasn't open. I was like, I don't want any food. Yeah. I'm going to go hungry. <laughs> All right. No food then. Fine. Um, but that, you know, that's, that's kind of a funny example, but there are plenty of examples where, you know, that same petulant part felt rejected because a group in my graduate studies, you know, didn't like the idea that I, that I gave and they took it in a completely different direction. And so I was like, well, I'm struggling to kind of be excited about what you guys are talking about. Cause I was so excited and I shared my thing and then you guys didn't like it. Yeah. Um, that 
without an ego state awareness, you know, that could, that could have ended in me just sort of shutting down and, and spiraling in that meeting of just, well, I'm rejected and I'm not wanted here or whatever it could have spun into. But instead, you know, I was able to say, this is just a part of me and I can go kind of back to home base. I will come get you. These people love you. They want to play with you. Mm -hmm. um, they're not rejecting you. We're just collaborating. We're sharing and that's okay. So yeah. there are some really practical steps that can be implemented um, from this work. Yeah. And it, again, to draw the connection with the eight phases that we're all really familiar about, this can show up in preparation uh, where it's just conversational. It could be paired with bilateral. Absolutely. It can be a part of resourcing mm -hmm. uh, or excuse me, reprocessing. So as we're doing yeah. that work, these are beautiful interweaves to bring in. And the other piece that I really love um, with the constructive avoidance and that exercise is in future template work. Yes. So those anticipating those experiences and being able to install a template around being able to protect that other vulnerable part and show up with your adult self um, and walk through that interaction and then yeah. install that experience and the way your nervous system responds to that visualized experience so that they can you know, happen in real time. I have, yeah, I have experience with a client that, um, that just came to my mind where uh, one of their deepest fears was falling asleep um, what was any time where they had to, they had to rest. And that's how they said it is, well, sleeping is when I, I have to stop moving. And I had like, she, they felt very, um, constrained by it. And in exploring that, that part had a lot of fears of her mom and dad fighting when she was away from them mm -hmm. and taking so much responsibility for, well, if I was just there, they wouldn't fight. And so I can't, be comfortable. I can't just fall asleep because I, you know, w what if they break up yeah. while I'm asleep? That's my fault. And that carried on. And now she's in her thirties and she's still having trouble falling asleep and, and that's affecting everything in her life. Mm -hmm. um, but it's because that part was so worried about losing control of the situation when she was that age that she couldn't let herself fall asleep because what if what if my parents break up when I'm asleep? That's my fault then. Yeah. 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 It's a great example. Okay. Um, our final point in this, which we've kind of talked about this throughout. So we'll briefly go over it again. Um, boundaries for participating in ego state work. Mm -hmm. And this covers a lot of different areas, but we want to have some parameters as the therapist, um, establishing those parameters with the client and all parts of the client, where we are considering um, our approach is for the best interest of all parts there. Yes. And so anything that we do is going to be really being considerate of what each part needs and um, the safety and the protection of each part. Sometimes a client will come in and one part will want to do this work and like, let's get it done. Let's go visit that trauma. Let's reprocess. Let's jump into yeah. the sensitization. Other parts are like, uh, no. <laughs> yeah. and, and the part that you're getting is the one that says, I'm so annoyed that you're doing resourcing again. Like, come on, let's go. Yeah. And part of our boundaries as the therapist is to recognize, hey, I'm noticing some other parts that may really be resistant to this or fearful of this. And I need to take that time to create safety there and a pace in which we move forward that's safe for all parts of you, not just the part that says, let's go, let's do this. Yes. 
Um, and so that is a really key piece. And sometimes it's helpful. I know all of like several of you can relate to the idea of I have these clients that come in and that don't want to do another resource. Um, they're ready to go, but I'm, I don't feel like they're ready talking about it in this language and helping them get in touch with what are some of those other parts that might be sitting back saying like, yeah, okay, but I don't know if I'm ready. Yeah. Um, and how do we notice them and, and provide the safety and security that they need? Or there may be a, a more assertive part coming in that's really putting up down their own boundaries saying like, this is stupid. I'm not going to do it. I don't notice exactly. anything. Who is this person that's yeah. trying to get us to do this work? And why do they expect me to trust them? Yeah. No and so that might be where our focus is in, in developing relationship there and creating yeah. safety with that part. And that just kind of further highlights how adaptive and creative this, uh, this framework can be uh, for people that um, are, are listening. You know, you can, you can do this in so many different ways in, in every step of the eight phases. Um, Ego state can be so seamlessly implemented and it's such a helpful resource because it gives language to things that otherwise are kind of hard to talk about. Um, in, that, in that analogy or that example that you just gave, Jen, how do you talk about somebody who seems to be uh, resistant to the process or just annoyed um, by the resourcing process? Do you, do you just confront them about it and say, you seem to be pretty uh, resistant to this. Can you talk a little bit about that? And then out comes even more of the, like, the part that's just, no, I don't want to talk about it. I just want to do this work. And they're super activated. Without ego state, you know, you have to search for other ways to start talking through that when ego state just helps you see, oh, this is a part of you that really wants this to be different than it is. <laughs> and there's no shame in that. It no, wants, no. These parts are doing their best to keep this human alive and yep. safe and protected from the scary things in the world. And so knowing that any of those resistant parts or you know, petulant parts or whatever that is, all are serving a really important role. Very validating. So yeah. when we experience that, one of the strategies that ego state um, provides for us is to be able to say, okay, now let's have a conference. Let's go back to that table or that boardroom and, and invite all the parts to be there and discuss what's going on here. What, what do we need the next move to be that serves all parts well? And so it comes into this almost like family discussion, family work that says, okay, this, Hey, you over here, you want to do this. And you over here, you don't, what are we going to do to work through that? So that step can again be in, in a, a preparation type work. Like we're doing that to prepare us to go in and reprocess a trauma. It could be as an interweave, we're noticing kind of the back and forth on one hand, I want to do this on the other hand, I don't. So here's an interweave of let's shift over into our workspace Yes. and find out what's happening here, which parts are showing up and, and yes. what safety needs to be provided in this moment so that the work can continue. Um, you can bring those in in different forms. Yeah, it's always about what's comfortable with the client, the pacing, the boundaries, the the direction, which part wants to do some work today. It's always about the comfortability of the client and there's no quote unquote right way to do this work. It's all about what what is safe to the client, what makes them feel supported and what, what moves us as the therapeutic alliance towards their goals for the session or for for this part of their healing. Yeah. 
All right. So please go check out this article um, and find even more material from um, James Knipe and Carol Forgosh. Amazing stuff out there. The articles from Healing the Heart of Trauma and Dissociation with EMDR and Ego State Therapy. So, so many good things Beautiful. out there. So. The uh, last thing I wanted to share with you guys is just about our Patreon. Um, so Patreon is a platform that allows people to get involved with organizations that are producing resources and content and, and beyond healing center, which is, uh, the practice that we all, uh, have together, um, has so many resources, uh, that we've taken so, so much care in developing. Um, and so you'll see, uh, PDFs of different exercises or even just access to recorded demos or extra extra episodes, bonus episodes. There's even a uh, secret podcast on there um, mm -hmm. called Mind of a Therapist that you guys should go <laughs> subscribe to because it's really wonderful and it's only available to our patrons. Um, so I wanted to direct you to that. Um, you guys have been so wonderful already in uh, partnering with us and we're up to 55 patrons on Notice That's uh, Patreon, which is amazing. That allows us to do so, so, so much. Um, so if you'll go to patreon.com uh, slash beyond healing center, that is where notice that uh, Patreon lives. And um, we have a lot of good material that's getting ready to come out. Um, yeah, I want to yeah. foreshadow that we got, we have nine hours, which we have to figure out how we're editing this down, but nine hours of recorded content from an actual retreat that yes. was just happened. Um, and so it covers conceptualizing the treatment approach um, and, and the work that's going to be done. I think there's like four or five, six targets that get yeah. reprocessed. All through our conceptualization model that we talked about at the beginning of the episode. Um, and it's, it's explicitly kind of referenced in there. So it, it's really there's powerful. Resourcing that's done amazing work that we were so fortunate to have someone willing to let it be recorded, which yes. is hard to do. So that's all going to kind of trickle out in chunks on our Patreon. Yep. Other resources. So be watching for that. Um, if that's something you're interested in getting to listen to. Yes, absolutely. So again, that's patreon.com uh, slash beyond healing center. And there's multiple tiers that you can get involved in, but anything uh, is appreciated and helps us continue doing what we love, which is creating and sharing uh, healing resources for people. All right. Thank you guys. We'll talk again in a couple of weeks. Take care. Bye. Thanks for listening to notice that an EMDR podcast. We hope something you've heard today will help you help your clients. Find our latest episode and more on our Facebook page or on our website, emdr-podcast.com. And don't forget to add us to your RSS feed or follow us on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher so that you don't miss an episode. Please email questions and comments to notice that at emdr-podcast.com. From all of us here at Notice That, see you next time.